Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary. Thank you for the download and listening today. If you have any comments on the show, send them to me on Twitter and Instagram at primetimekline. Twitch.tv slash primetimepk. YouTube is where we're putting up a lot of these interviews. You'll see one of them up there today. I am there, primetimekline1. The music you were listening to provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. I survived camping, as you can hear. Um, survived some hail. Made it through a faulty air mattress, but we were able to get through. So back with you guys today. There is a lot of good stuff on the show, so I'm going to duck out here pretty quick. We have uh, James Sabolski coming on to talk about the plight of the Vancouver Canucks. But the first voice you will hear that's not mine is Sandra Persina. She covers a lot of sports for a lot of different places, currently working at 660 News. Uh, she also does some soccer stuff for sportsnet.ca and one soccer. She has helped with the women's ga- or the, uh, the dream cap tour for the PWHPA. She has done play-by-play for the Canadian Women's Hockey League, as well as doing some stuff with the Stockton Heat. So, a lengthy resume for Sandra Persina, and she is going to help us break down Euro 2020 coming up here in a matter of moments. So, we got some hockey talk, but up first, some soccer conversations. Euro 2020, the 2021 edition, is just around the corner. Very pleased to break it all down with Sandra Persina from the station formerly known as 660 News, currently known as something. Um, Sandra, thank you very much for doing this today. How are you? My pleasure, PK. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm very excited uh, about this tournament. And as kind of we we work our way towards normal across the globe, this is a a real nice little bit of normalcy. So let's just get right into it. I thought we could just go through group by group and just kind of look at uh, look at a couple of things. So group A, Italy, Turkey, Wales and Switzerland. Um, It it kind of felt like Italy took a a bit of a a bit of a a dip in the roller coaster and now kind of on their way back up. Um, I when I first got into soccer, I I was working in Toronto where with a number of uh, people of Italian descent and they take this stuff uber seriously. (laughs) So in in their mind, the team was always down and never any good ever. But um, this Italian group, it does kind of feel like a welcome back to the big stage Italy moment. Totally. I I was saying this actually to one of my Italian friends the other day, John Molinero, who mm. was at Sportsnet for a very long time, and we always kind of banter back and forth. And I told him that Italy was probably one of my favorites. And I actually, I called them a dark horse for the reason that you mentioned right there is because they took a bit of a blip. And for maybe a casual follower, you realized Italy, Italy wasn't there at the World Cup. And you're like, huh, But then as you've seen them progress over this past year and they found somebody to replace Gianluigi Buffon. So I think they're on the up and up. They should definitely, I think, uh, between them and Switzerland, I think they'll be playing for that one, two spot in group A. And it does kind of seem like the probably the biggest name player in this would be Gareth Bale from Wales. And this is that this kind of seems like for him an opportunity to prove that he is still one of the elite of the elite kind of for, for that kind of a status. How important do you think this tournament is for him? Huge. He had a really down year and I don't think professionally, at least at club. And I think if he were to look back on his year, he'd be disappointed, perhaps with the way that he was deployed or not deployed and used. So he's always been able to come up big for country. He is the Wales number one player for a reason. So uh, given the fact that a third place team can advance, 
I think that certainly does give Wales a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that um, that that aspect of this because, and we'll get into it with the uh, the group of death a little bit later. But it does certainly add a little bit more intrigue to, to some of these games. What do you feel of the format? I like it. Listen, I've been following this format a lot going back to the Women's World Cup and the Olympics. So I'm actually a really big fan of it. And sorry, not to just bring us back to women's sport, but the fact that if the third place rule didn't exist in 2012 at the Olympics, Canada never would have got a bronze medal at the in women's soccer in London. So the third place rule is is great. I think it really adds to the depth and it shows the parity of the sport. Yeah. Um, j- just one more from Group A. Um, it, it just in reading up on this, it really felt like um, Turkey was going to be the one that would kind of try to like choke some of the life out of this. Like it kind of felt like if people are talking about how boring a match is on Twitter, Turkey is doing their job. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think of the, the Turkish side on this? Listen, they could play the role of spoiler. They've got a lot of quality players and the Turkish league. It's a fantastic league. We have a couple of Canadians that play there and play there well in terms of Kyle Laren and Atiba Hutchinson. So the Turkish product is very good. It's also played the role of spoiler at previous Euros. I know that as a Croatian fan, they they snuffed out Croatia's chances. So listen, anything anything can happen, I think, with Turkey. Group B, uh, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. This Belgium team, um, admittedly, I'm not a historian on Belgium football, but it does kind of feel like that this would be one of the, the better teams they've ever had. Um, they they kind of look like the clear favorite to me in this group. Am I reading that one correctly? You're absolutely right. Obviously, Lukaku, then you've got the Hazards. But to me, the big question, oh, and and Courtois is a fantastic goalkeeper. But the question mark to me, and this goes back actually to the Champions League final, is Kevin De Bruyne. Because Mm. it's tough to say if he's going to be 100%. I was actually just reading about him this morning, and he's pushing for full health. But when you have a facial injury, particularly in your nose, and this area, I mean, that's really hard. It's just not something you can put a cast on and be like, okay, let's go, right? So as a soccer player, especially someone who is pretty good in the air, that's tough to say. So I Mm -hmm. think their success relies on his health. This kind of feels like one of their better chances at doing something like they a lot of their top players are in their prime, but in kind of the back part of the prime, if that makes sense like this, this kind of I don't want to say a must win because it's I mean, every country wants to win this thing, but um, this kind of feels like one of their last best chances at this. Does that make sense? 100%. Uh, and I, I feel like you talk about the core or the prime years, this is it. And it feels like for the past five or six years, if you look at the major tournaments, we're waiting for Belgium to break out and make it to a third place or make it to a final. And they haven't been really able to reach the expectation. So if they're going to do it, this would be the year. Uh, another um, group that, or another team that fascinates me in this group would be the Russians as we saw what home field advantage did for them the last time they had home field advantage. And now with this format being a, a little bit different there, they, they got their first three in St. Petersburg, if my research was correct. So th- this feels like a, a pretty good opportunity for them to, to advance to another level. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Russia, a couple of years ago, they just fed off the energy of the crowd. I actually don't know how many people will be there just given, or I don't know if there are any restrictions there, to be honest. Right. Russia's pretty mum about certain <laughs> things. But I can say as somebody 
that's actually been to Russia and spent some time in that country, they love their sporting events and they come out and they, and you saw it on the screen a few years ago, uh, that run to making it to the knockout stage was huge. So absolutely, mm. you feed out, off that crowd, anything is possible. It can just propel you to the next level. Group C has Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia. Um, th- this one, th- this Group C kind of feels like a, hey, welcome back, Netherlands. Um, yes. <laughs> are they, yeah. who's kind of the, the standout in this group? And what, what do you think of the, the Netherlands kind of chances in this? Well, we talked about Italy and mm-hmm. Netherlands very much in the same boat where, okay, what's been been happening for the past few years as we had that earlier golden generation, right? And right. Especially during like the, the mid to mid 2000s to the early 2010s, they were a, a potent, potent team. So I think it's their group for the taking. You mentioned Northern Macedonia, and I just have to mention them quickly. It's just a really cool story to see a team like this make Euro. Don't forget that they beat Germany in terms of qualification. So Mm. for them, for a country like that, especially in the Balkan region, that's obviously seen unrest for many, many years. And really to this point, it's only been, let's say, Croatia, Serbia, and Slovenia able to take that jump to the next level of soccer in Europe. To see Northern Macedonia there, I think it's really cool. I don't think they'll do anything, but (laughs) at the same time, it's a good story for soccer. It does really seem like obviously different groups have different levels of expectations. I'm sure people in Northern Macedonia would love a Euro championship. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen uh, unless yeah. a, a lot of people get sick. Um, but this, they, they really do kind of feel like a, hey, we're just happy to be nominated type of a, a team, you know? There's nothing to be ashamed of when it right. comes to that because you're going to be able to display your players. And in the end, those players may be able to get a better club contract, right? Mm-hmm. More eyeballs are on you. So that in turn, without sounding too like kumbaya about it, but that'll <laughs> impact the sport back at home, right? Totally. More kids are going to get involved. So it's win-win for them. Well, and you look at like to, to compare it to the, the country that we currently reside in here in Canada. Like I, I would love for Canada to get the opportunity to get their ass kicked in a World Cup. Like I, that, that would that yeah. would be delightful for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're you're 100 percent. What what is that saying about visibility? Just visibility is huge. And totally. once you get onto that world stage, that's it. Mm-hmm. Those are household names. People from now on will remember, oh, Northern Macedonia qualified for euro i think it's awesome yeah no it, it is really really cool um with uh, the, the netherlands kind of as the standout in this group uh ukraine and Austria, we, we've already discussed maybe a, a lack of chance for for north macedonia but for ukraine and austria who kind of has the edge for you in the uh, in the race for second in this group the ukraine is always formidable i think and austria you can never, they're not a slouch and they have a lot of players that came from immigrant parents. So actually Austria in a sense is very much like a Switzerland to me where they're made up of a lot of immigrant players. And I think it could potentially take them to the knockout stage. Group D is one that I'm sure you're going to be uh, rather fascinated with Croatia, England, uh, Czech Republic, and Scotland. I I have known you a long time. I've heard you swear once. And that was during a Croatian, uh, I believe it was world cup game. Um, But either way, um, that that was, that was the only time I I heard anything other than something delightful coming out of your mouth. um, You're, you're, you'll be tested early as Croatia takes on England right away. It feels almost simplistic, but it kind of feels like the group is decided on day one. 
And it's the truth. And listen, it's happening at Wembley Stadium. We talked mm-hmm. about home field advantage for the Russians. How about this for England? Yeah, this is huge. So for for Croatia right now, Croatia is in a bit of a turnover where yeah, made it to second place in the recent World Cup. How, however, a lot of firepower is gone. Mario Mandzukic has retired from international football. Ivan Rakitic has retired from international football, a different goalkeeper. So the issue for Croatia, Luka Modric is still there. He is still, he might be 35, 36 years old, but he is still an outstanding midfielder. You see what he does for Real Madrid game in, game out. So can he propel them and help the team score goals? That's the issue to me. Who's going to score goals for Croatia? And the first game, 7 a.m. Sunday, <laughs> our time versus England, I don't even know what to expect. So for me, it's going to be a dog race between Croatia and England. And I think for England, the expectations are always so, so high. Mm-hmm. And Harry Kane coming into this is one of the best goal scorers in the world. But it's interesting. I actually think for England, the bigger challenge will be Scotland because Mm. there is this, obviously this incredible rivalry there. And I think for the Scots, there's so much on the line when they go and play England, they play for so much pride that that will actually be the bigger story than Croatia versus England. Interesting. Um, And and this is a group that I kind of feel like really benefits from that third place um, having an opportunity because otherwise this would just be killing time until Croatia and England advance to the, the knockout stage. But th- this feels like the, the Czech Republican uh, and the, the Scots really have an opportunity in this thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that third place is ripe for the picking and I, I can't necessarily, like I was looking at sort of permutations. I'm a bit of a geek that way. And <laughs> listen, if England and Croatia were to play to a draw on Sunday, that makes things really interesting. Right. Because nobody's taking the full three points. So that means Scotland versus Czech Republic will be even that much more important for those two sides. Yeah, it really is interesting in this type of a round robin event, how just one result going a little bit differently than people might think and everything goes into chaos. Totally, because everybody's like, well, a draw is okay." Yeah, I guess a draw is okay, but you would much rather get three points versus the one. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and if one team is to win, I mean, just how sports work, that means another team is to lose. And now you have some ground to, to be made up in, in that instance. Well, and that's exactly it. And we'll talk about the final group. But I think that that's going to play a huge, huge pa- factor mm-hmm. in Group F. Group E, Poland, uh, Slovakia, Spain and Sweden. Sweden without Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sure he's stunned that the tournament is going on without him at all. Um, but how, how will the, the Swedish side handle things without um, someone who is as good as he believes he is, who was Latin? Well, actually, Peter, I, I'm calling this the COVID group right now mm. because both Sweden and Spain are dealing with COVID issues. I was reading this morning that Spain's actually called in a set of taxi squad players because Mm. COVID might be waking, making its way through that camp. So it's tough for me to answer that question because (laughs) listen, Zlatan is Zlatan and he can score incredible goals, highlight real goals, but uh, will they really miss him? I don't know. It's tough to say because he hasn't been playing at an international level for how long? Yeah. We saw Mm. what he did with LA galaxy. And then earlier this year when, when he went to Syria, ah, but again, what is it's it, soccer is what have you done for me lately? Right. So 
uh, other than some really nice quips and quotes for social media, who knows? And yeah, this this will be a group to watch for that COVID reason. And I haven't really heard of issues within other teams. So, so far to me, it's been an issue with Spain and with Sweden. So mm-hmm. that that is something like as normal as everything is kind of feeling that there is still this little cloud hanging over it that like, it's we've seen a number of sporting events go off without much of a hitch. Um, but, but there is still kind of that, Hey, if something goes screwy, this could mess with things really, really quickly. Well, we know it. Mm -hmm. I just think of the Vancouver Canucks from earlier this year and how quickly that situation spread. And you have all of those rules in place and things like that. And, you know, Europe, it's not loosey goosey, but it, listen, players are going to be traveling. People will be involved. So, uh, knock on wood, everything right. goes okay. Um, and COVID going through, I mean, there's never a good time to have COVID go through a team, but to, to go through Spain right now, it, it, it feels a little tough because they, they are another team, in my opinion, kind of in the, the Italy, Netherlands group where it's like, hey, welcome back. We, we, we've missed you a little bit because there was a time they were in every final ever. Um, and that, that has, as it does in most competitions, it takes a bit of a dip, but now it does kind of seem like Spain once again is a a country on the rise when it comes to soccer. Yeah. They're kind of at this point where they were here and then they're trickling up just like we've been talking, you mentioned Italy, Netherlands. So it's so easy to pick you, you do a bracket and it's so easy. You pick Spain and you automatically go to Spain. And I think rightfully so, particularly in this group, I think they will easily advance mm-hmm. um Lewandowski is I, I think regardless of who is there and who isn't he he is kind of the the, the star of this group is, is that enough to to get his uh his team off the, the rest of the way no unfortunately <laughs> no it's just listen Bayern Munich is a different story when you have that kind of a supporting cast that's feeding you those balls it's it's easy it's a day at the park right but this is a little bit more different where you just you you, you don't have that luxury of those players. And that's no disrespect to Poland. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, in this tournament, like we talked about, you finish third, you can catch lightning and make your way to the round of 16 or, you know, the round of eight. But it's it's tough when you're a bit of a one-trick pony. Yeah, and it is, like you said, like it's one thing. And you can see what he does with high-level talent as well, right? Like setting records for goal scoring yeah. this year in the Bundesliga, which has had its share of talented players. But you, you kind of, it, it it takes more than just one dude, right? Absolutely. And that's where I look at it. I'm sure he's going to get on the score sheet, but if you are filling out those brackets and things like that, or you're doing like a pool with goal scorers, yeah, you can pick Lewandowski, but then what if they, they, they don't advance? Mm-hmm. So just, just sort of think about that. Right. Uh, the last one, the, the group of death is group F with France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary. My first thought in this is, oh my gosh, poor Hungary. Yeah. Sorry guys. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, normally the Hungarians are, they offer some, some quality, quality games, but unfortunately in this group, goodness. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're very thankful for that third place rule in this particular group. To me, France is the favorite of this tournament. When I think of, Kylian Mbappe is certainly one of my favorite stars in the world to watch right now, but uh, Giroud on the scoreboard, the, (laughs) the substitute wonder, I mean, he's been playing forever and I just think this is France's tournament to lose, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. 
It's crazy how Mbappe is already kind of a, a household name, even in, in like casual soccer circles. This is his second international tournament and dude's 22 years old. Like, it, yeah, it, it really does feel like he is the next one in terms of great soccer stars. Oh, it's, it's, it's so interesting because I remember going into the World Cup a few years ago. Everyone was talking about Antoine Griezmann mm-hmm. and all, all of a sudden it's like, who's this, who's this Mbappe? And he took the world by storm. It's like looking behind uh, Griezmann's like, Oh, okay. So I'm not the big kahuna, but no, it was, it was Mbappe and he was fantastic in the world cup. He's been really good for club. So I think the writing is on the wall that he's going to be a star. Um, with the, the, the German side, that they are the, the group that I pay the closest attention to. And when we talk about, Hey, welcome back, all these teams, it kind of feels like Germany is a, we'll, we'll see it a little bit later. Like it, it kind of feels like while they were the, the stars of soccer for a while and, and this shining example of, Hey, this is how you develop a, a soccer program. It feels like they're kind of in one of the, the down parts of the, the roller coaster right now. Am I, am I reading that right? I think so. And this is Joachim Lowe's last tournament, I believe. Right. So listen, uh, Germany's had an incredible run, both on the men's and women's side. Like you said, they have developed soccer in that country over the past 25 years. They should be writing a textbook. Canada should be paying attention how they've developed everybody through the youth program all the way up to the men's and women's. They've done an incredible job. If you look at those trophy cases, they're full. So if, if Germany falters a little bit, it's, it's okay. I right. know people will be disappointed, but it's okay because nothing is linear. Soccer is a very up and down sports and the progressions of the teams. We've talked about it a bunch. This is just der- Germany's time to take a little bit of a dip, particularly in this group, because I still think Portugal will probably finish either. I, a, Portugal, I have tabbed for second in that group. And then Germany, potentially third. I think France, hands down, takes first place. But knowing my luck, uh, I'm (laughs) I'm wrong a lot. So don't take it to the bank. (laughs) It it does kind of feel like we said poor Hungary. If they can scratch out even a draw in this, that changes things dramatically in this group, right? Oh, huge. That could create chaos. It it essentially can make the difference between first and third. So... Mm -hmm. And it does kind of feel like this group is kind of, a, but this is one of those ones that you were talking about with like the, the different permutations on how this can all go. Cause it, it like these, the top three teams in this group feel like they should be moving on to the next round. But then if one of them goes and two against one of these powerhouses, sorry. Yeah. It, like that, yeah, that's, just, that's, that's it. Yeah. It, it's so tricky. And that, that feels like a, it, like I said, it feels like a lock, but because you're playing high level talent in this as well, it feels like that can, you, you can almost eat your own in this group kind of. A hundred percent. And to me, Portugal, Portugal is almost potentially going to be the spoiler. And I don't say that because of Ronaldo, to be honest, when Portugal mm-hmm. won Europe, he was actually he got injured that game. The team right. around him won, right? So, and I think just some of the young talent that's on Portugal, like Yao Felix, oh my goodness, like what an incredible player. And yet then, then he's still, I, and listen, I, I think it's fair to call Ronaldo uh, a veteran. He is a veteran at yeah. this point. They still got Pepe on the roster. So they have those, those older players that can push the younger players. So I think France and Portugal, that's going to probably be of the round robin stage. I think that's going to be kind of the premier match of all of them, in my opinion. 
There are just going through this. There are so many matches that I, I'm really excited about. Um, it, it kind of feels like France is almost by a lot of people bookmarked for at least the championship game. Um, who, who would you uh, un- understanding that there are like brackets involved and stuff like that? So that this is uh, an inexact science. But who would you see playing for this whole thing when we get to uh, the championship game in about a month? Italy, Italy and France are actually my pick. I'm going to go with some of the longtime favorites. I just think Italy is trending in the right direction right now. It's kind of weird talking about them as a dark horse, but they are a bit of a dark horse because unless you're a a diehard Azuri fan, maybe you haven't been paying super attention to Italy over the past couple of years. Because like you said before, the fact that they took a bit of a dip, but they're trending upward. And I think if they catch lightning at the right time, I think they can be in the final for sure. Um. Uh, outside of this tournament, the the men's team with a, a victory yesterday, um, where obviously this, regardless of how good they are, geographically speaking, we're not in Europe, we don't qualify for this one. But from a, a world level, how, how are the, the men doing so far, I guess? Well, listen, yesterday's win was pretty crucial because this gives Canada another opportunity to to dig its way out of qualifications here in CONCACAF. CONCACAF is tough. I know people are always like, well, Mexico, USA, yup, and they are. But mm-hmm. when you look at a lot of these, these Latin, these Caribbean nations, Canada is going to have to play Haiti next. And Canada struggled with Haiti. Yes, but yesterday, such a good building point. I mean, I, I was watching that game versus Suriname yesterday, hat trick by Jonathan David, who's had a, wow, what a year he's had playing in France for Lille and helping them finish first. Uh Alfonso Davies, goodness. I mean, right. there's not enough superlatives to to talk about that kid. But what I saw yesterday, the performance of those top players, it put Canada at another class. And at least for my generation of men's soccer, I've never seen anything like this. I can't speak to the teams, the team that made the 86 World Cup. I, right. I just, I haven't seen enough of those games. You know, you and I just, we don't know. But right now, talent-wise, Canada has the players to at least be one of the stronger teams in CONCACAF. And I can say that cross my heart, just watching what Jonathan David did yesterday, a hat trick, as well as Alfonso Davies, a couple of Calgary kids were involved yesterday. Like Scott Kennedy wasn't even on Canada's soccer's radar. He's playing division two in Bundesliga right now, made his debut for Canada last night, first game ever went 90 minutes as center back. He didn't even look phased. He was so calm, cool, composed. So to see Calgary products on the pitch like that, huge. That means that slowly but surely something is working in this country. I'm sorry it hasn't come to fruition earlier for the men. But I think come 2026, when it's it's coming to Canada and the U.S. and Mexico, there's going to be something to look forward to for sure. Well, and this is kind of that that representation thing you were talking about before with North Macedonia. Like, just get your foot in the door a little bit, have soccer be a cool thing in the country for a month or so even, and just get people involved. Like, that, that is how programs build, right? Totally. And the fact that Canada won yesterday versus Suriname guarantees them two more games now. Right. So they'll be facing Haiti in this kind of home and home where they'll go to Haiti and then Calgary's or part of me, Canada's basically set up shop in Chicago as mm. its home base where they played last night. So listen, a couple of more games to get things done, turn some heads, get that top talent out there. And if listen, it's been so long. It, 
at least for us, for our generation, we don't know what it's like to have a men's team that can compete, but it looks right. like they can compete right now. So let's see what they can do. Um, how important is the, the Canadian Premier League to something like that as they are getting their thing going here in, in a couple of weeks? Um, we, we talked about the, the success of the, the German program, and I think the Bundesliga um, is a big part of that. How important is the, the CPL to Canadian soccer growth in this country? I think it's a key cog in Canada's soccer growth. In terms of playing on the senior team, I, I think it allows some of the people at Canada soccer to get a better look at the talent that's in this country. But I think for the players, it's more of a stepping stone. Okay. So I look at somebody like, if we're going to talk about cavalry FC, I look at somebody like Dominic Zator, who was able to get called up to a Canada camp mm -hmm. in Edmonton, Amr Didich, another player that was called up to a Canada camp, another local product, Marco Carducci. He's probably fourth or fifth on the depth chart for Canada. So it's part of that stepping stone, but it's also part of a stepping stone for these players to put themselves on display and eventually get better contracts elsewhere. So whether that be in Europe, I would probably say. So uh, still very young league. This will be its, its third season and a lot of growth, but it's part of that pyramid that brings you to the national program. And it's a key cog right now. Um, shifting sports um, entirely. The Women's World <laughs> Hockey Championships are uh, going to be coming to Calgary, coming here in August. We, we have seen, um, especially I think during the pandemic, but over the last few years, we have seen women's sports uh, in this country as my cat starts to, to make an appearance on the, the program today. Um, <laughs> we, we, we have seen women's sports really gain a, a lot of momentum, like the, the women's March Madness, or sorry, the women's college basketball bracket, because heaven forbid we call it March Madness. Um, but the the women's college basketball tournament and then the, the WNBA is getting a, a lot of steam and especially in this house go Mercury um, but it, it yeah. Feels like, yeah exactly right <laughs> and we've seen you were part of the, the dream gap tour when it came here to, to Calgary there's been so much momentum in women's sports but the women's worlds have been delayed and delayed and canceled and moved and it's just like it, it feels like women's hockey is about to explode and it's just things keep getting in the way how I, I don't want to put too much on one tournament in one event, but this feels like a really, really big moment in women's hockey here coming up in August in Calgary. Yeah. Pandemic aside, we're a couple of years removed here from the CWHL folding and then mm -hmm. they formed the PWHPA and then the pandemic happened and it basically blew it all this momentum that they had to smithereens. And like you said, it created the first cancellation of the Women's Worlds in Nova Scotia and then the second cancellation of the Women's Worlds in Nova Scotia. Calgary, kudos, coming to pick up the pieces and hold this tournament. And the worst part was these women, uh, notwithstanding the PWHPA Dream Gap Tour that was here two weeks ago, notwithstanding, they had not played meaningful hockey in over a year and a half. Right. These are the world's best hockey players. That, to me, is unspeakable. Can you imagine Sidney Crosby not playing a meaningful game in a year and a half? Connor right. McDavid not play, And then at the PWHPA Dream Gap Tour, I saw Marie Philippe-Lan, hadn't seen her play in a year and a half, and she scores on a shorthanded breakaway. Like, it's like nobody's business. And I'm like, okay, there's the world's best player. And you forget what it's like 
because you haven't seen it in so long. And these women have been fighting so hard and giving up years, core years of their careers mm-hmm. to try and create a better league for everybody. So the fact that Calgary, first of all, kudos, so proud of the city. Hockey Canada, based out of here, they'll have everything that they need at Winsport. It's coming up on an Olympic year, which is crucial, crucial, crucial. And so we've got Beijing coming up in February. They're going to have an, um, like a residency camp over at Hockey Canada. Then they're going to play the Worlds. So essentially, have a good performance at the Worlds, and you'll likely book yourself a ticket on Team Canada or Team USA or whatever. But the right. fact that they can finally play meaningful hockey, it's just huge. It's been so difficult. And I, like you said, I look at other sports, basketball, soccer, They've been able to play. Hockey has not. So these ladies deserve it. They deserve to be center stage. That's why I was so happy that the PWHPA Dream Gap Tour did so well here in Calgary, got lots of eyeballs, whether it be on the stream or on the Sportsnet TV stations. So let's build on that momentum. I think this is going to be awesome because, I mean, the Americans continue to push Canada to be better. The Canadians continue to push the Americans to be better. I think it's a foregone conclusion. It will be Canada us in the final Uh, knock on wood. Maybe I just jinxed everybody, but (laughs) it'll set us up nicely for the Olympics come next year. Yeah. And and whenever we talk about women's hockey, the, the one league thing continues to pop up. Do do you think that we are going to get to a spot where we get to, to one league where the, the PWHPA and the NWHL come together. And, and do you think we need it? Like that, this is a, a discussion that I, I thought it was quite clear that it should just be one league. I thought dividing into two was a little strange, but wh- where are you on this debate? Yes, I absolutely think there should be one league with one league. It would le- at least allow you to have more teams this way. It's still so fragmented. Mm-hmm. It's, you versus you and you versus you. And if you support this league, well, you can't support this league. It needs to be equal footing, equal playing ground. And I think the fact that the PWHPA has been able to get support of the St. Louis Blues, the New York Rangers, the Calgary Flames. I know the Toronto Maple Leafs were supporting them as well. The the NHL support is huge and it cannot be downplayed at all. And I remember somebody asked me, they're like, well, what's the big deal of of NHL team supporting. And I'm like, when Connor McDavid throws on a PWHPA hoodie, you know how many eyeballs get on that? Because right. women's hockey, women's hockey to me is a very, still a very niche sport. People don't seem to pay attention unless it's an Olympic year. And that's just the honest truth right mm-hmm. now. So the fact that you're getting more eyeballs on this, I know Gary Bettman said in the past that he doesn't want to get involved until there is one leak. So I think the NWHL has a really good hold on that mid, uh, mid kind of northern area there, like near New Hampshire, Connecticut, near the New Yorks and things like that. So the fact that if you could come together with the PWHPA, which also obviously has support here in Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, you've got these hubs, just create one league and you mm-hmm. can have a plethora of teams and then create divisions, which will obviously be a little bit better in terms of travel and those kinds of expenses. But but they need to come together because the future of the sport relies on it. And I know that's super soapboxy of me to say that, but it's it's the truth because we've yeah. seen they haven't played in a year and a half. That to me, that blows my mind 
how can you be a top performance athlete and not perform at your sport? It, right. it, it, it makes no sense to me. So uh, fingers crossed, uh, hopefully mm-hmm. in the next year, I think they can really build the momentum from the worlds and a, the Olympics coming up next year. And then hopefully we'll have a league to talk about in a year's time right now. Yeah. Here's hoping, uh, Sandra, I have taken up far too much of your time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for this today. And, uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. I look forward to it. I look forward to your Twitter talk on Euro Pete. I'm expecting a lot. <laughs> okay. Even yes, if it well. is, it, even if it is banter, let's go. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. And I, um, I have the time to watch it now and I'm quite excited to, to just be able to relax and just watch this whole thing. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. So yes, you, you will get, um, you will get very much your fill of uneducated soccer talk on my Twitter. (laughs) I love it. Thanks for having me PK. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All the music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music and go find their new song Drowning available everywhere. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest, James Savolsky, someone who I've had plenty of experience work uh, experience working with before. Uh, so really happy to have this conversation now. Seaballs, how's it going, man? I'm good, brother. Man, we go back. Like, I'm trying to think how far we go back. We got to go back almost 15 years, I would say, which makes us kind of feel old. But I mean, you're, <laughs> yeah. still, you're still a kid in my eyes. But I mean, we probably go back, what, almost 15 years now? Yeah, it was uh, 2009. So I guess 12 years. Okay. Uh, but with how the last year is gone, it feels like an extra three. So yeah, 15 checks out. <laughs> yeah, make that 27 years now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. You know, we used to age by dog years. Now we're going to age by COVID years. So, yeah, uh, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although if you, if you ask a realtor these days, like, how are things going? I, I bet they're probably just high-fiving everybody. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, right? that's some people who've just, you know, had the crap kicked out of them this past year. And, and then realtors just like, yeah, man, we all want to stay in a pandemic forever. <laughs> Yeah, the, the rich have gotten richer in a, a number of different aspects, for sure. Um, yeah. I uh, I want to talk about the the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I know that that's a okay. subject that you talked about to death, so uh, I apologize for making you talk about it more. <laughs> um, but th- this season, I, I would suggest didn't go great, but I, I'm I'm now leading the witness. Um, we, we've had some time to to sit back and reflect on things from a, a Canuck perspective. How how do you think this season went for Vancouver? Can I swear? Yes, absolutely. Shitty. <laughs> Honestly, but I, I would say this, like if you were to compare Western Canadian teams, who had, who had the crappier year? Uh, Flames? Canucks. I mean, I don't think the Canucks were necessarily in a position to contend for a Stanley Cup, but I would say based on what the Flames did last year to go out and land a top four defenseman and then to bring in what they thought was an all-star franchise goaltender. Um, I mean, they, there was a sense that they're all in, you know, to be a Stanley cup contender and, and that went sideways, but the Canucks just, I, you know, part of it felt like fool's gold. I think what the Canucks had last year and, you know, look, I think for, if you look at how things played out for the Canucks, it. You took an all-star goaltender off the roster and 
you know, you take a, you know, so you lose that, you lose a top force to stabilizing force on the back end that hurt. And probably most critically looking back now was you weren't able to keep Tyler to who didn't cost a lot on the open market. And that proved to be crippling because now, once again, you've got a big hole in your top six for a guy who, you know, hit around, hit close to 30 goals in a 56 game season. Like Tyler Toffoli was insane value for the Montreal Canadiens this year. And, you know, you take those three pieces out and the Canucks took huge steps back. Now, most people would look back and say, you know what, that was the right call not to commit that money to Jacob Markstrom. It was the right call not to commit that money to Chris Tanev, who's had a long history of injuries, a guy who pretty much averages missing a fifth to a quarter of the season annually. Um, And do you want to commit that sort of dollar and term to a guy in his 30s who's had a long history of injuries in his 20s? So, you know, I think they were kind of prudent moves at the time, but unfortunately, There was a huge void in leadership. I think it really disrupted the chemistry within the room, especially in the early stages. And um, it it really impacted the dynamic of the team in the early going. Not to mention, well, what happened with COVID and how it absolutely brutalized the team, you know, in the back half of the season. And that was a whole different story down the stretch. So, um, I mean, you name it, anything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Canucks. Yeah. And I feel like this is a tricky offseason for Vancouver, because obviously, if, if you do not make the playoffs, you either want to get worse and bottom out or, or start to improve. And the Canucks, uh, I think that their days of bottoming them out are done. I think they have the, the young pieces that you look for when you do that. So now you look to improve. But A, it's tough to get a read on last season because of everything you said. And then B, the cap situation when when you're signing guys like Pedersen and Hughes, there isn't a whole lot of room for improvement, I I don't think. So where do you think the improvement with this Canucks team, I guess, comes from? Well, number one, Vasily Podkolzin's got to be, he's got to be the real deal. You know, the 10th overall pick in 2019, the pick that they made in front of the home fans at the draft at Rogers arena. Look, there was a sense that he probably would have gone higher if he wasn't committed for two more years in the KHL. Well, he's had those two years of seasoning, you know, he had a couple of world juniors under his belt. He's gotta be the playmaker. He's gotta be the top six piece that this team desperately needs because they cannot afford to miss on this with Vasily Podkolzin. You know, you look at the way things have played out with the draft over the last seven years. Yes, they've got some really good pieces in Pedersen and Hughes and Besser and Demko. Um, you know, they turned a first-round pick into JT Miller, who's a legit player as well. But my goodness, in seven years... You know, who have you drafted and developed within the organization on the blue line outside of Quinn Hughes? It's been trades. It's been free agent signings. You know, Ole Olevi was a terrible miss. Um, you know, when you really kind of do the deep dive, you look at the farm system. It's not that deep. This draft, for all the credit that Jim Benning has had for being an eye for talent and a sharp eye for talent, it hasn't been that good. And so you need Pod Colson to hit Pete. Uh, And I think the only other area that they can try to improve is 
the hope that, look, they're going to be up against the cap that you alluded to. I think they got to hope that maybe the cap can work to their advantage, that there's going to be some bargains like we saw last summer or last fall in the open market that you might be able to reel in a quality veteran either on the back end or that you can play in your forward mix that you can get for a great price and to see. Unfortunately, they're not enticing enough of an organization to make people want to come in for less. But I think the way that the market kind of dictates itself in a COVID world, I think you're going to see a lot of teams uh, and a lot of players kind of being squeezed once again for another consecutive year. And this is where the Canucks might benefit in taking advantage like they did with Travis Hamanick this past season. The the two big things on the, the offseason checklist are obviously uh, – or the big – like the, the, the contracts for the young players that they have um, to, to get figured out with Pedersen and Hughes. Like those are massive, massive franchise-altering decisions that this organization yep. has to make. Um, what do you think those contracts look like? Like in my mind, it's like the, the video game that you're rather familiar with. You just – max out the the term and just like keep putting the dollars up until they say yes that 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 is where i am at but it's not my checkbook so where where do you think those contracts kind of fall in it's fascinating to me because this is the question that i think everybody's asking in this market look the one thing this year that certainly made someone like me and i think a lot of others ask the question just how good is this young Canucks core truthfully, truthfully? And Quinn Hughes had a phenomenal rookie season. But Quinn Hughes, yes, he was still good offensively, but Quinn Hughes uh, struggles, to put it nicely, in his own end. And Elias Pettersson missed half the season this year, and when he did play, he wasn't great. You know, he was he was good or, you know, above average. And so for a guy who's supposed to be this generational franchise changing face for the team, I don't want to use generational, but the fact is, I I think you've got to question just how good this core really is or how good these best players are. You know, Pedersen always seemed to be annoyed at people questioning his size and can he, is, is he big enough, strong enough? You know, he kind of rolled his eyes in camp last year when he was asked about it, but guess what? He got hurt again. And, you know, he's got to be better. Now, he seems to have the right mindset to want to improve, but he's got, this is a big year. So I would say from an ELC contract to the next one, I look at Pedersen, I go short term. And I think he probably wants short term as well with his agent. Now, the interesting thing with Pedersen and Hughes, to me, is that both Petey and Hughes, both uh, are represented by the same agent. Pedersen switched over to Pat Brisson, who also represents um, Quinn Hughes. Now, that super agent kind of knows how to make deals happen with two players. He's done it with, obviously, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in Chicago. He's made that work. And uh, I believe also with Evgeny Malkin and, and Sidney Crosby as well. But I, I, to me, if there's an opportunity to go longer term with Quinn Hughes, I think you can look at that now. I think if you're looking for a baseline comparable, you could look at what Thomas Shabbat got, but obviously that's a two-year-old contract now, but that was 8 million times eight uh, for, for that situation. I think Hughes is probably a little bit higher than that based on what his upside can be offensively. But if you have an opportunity with longer term with Quinn Hughes, I think you try to take it if the dollar's there. 
uh, with respect to Pedersen. The talk was they were looking for a comparable maybe early in the season with Matt Barzell, what he got for his uh, second contract. It was the bridge deal at seven and a half million. You know, maybe it's not quite there or somewhere in the ballpark at closer to seven million. But I think you're probably looking at something at maybe three years for Pedersen. And there's been some scuttlebutt that there might be an opportunity for maybe some longer term or take a shot at a longer term deal for Quinn Hughes. But here's the other tricky thing here, Pete. It's a flat cap world. And I think we heard Elliot Friedman suggest, I think, uh, recently over the last week that, you know, it might be a flat cap for another five years. Right. So. So, I mean, looking for that home run contract now, it may not be there at the moment. And you just might have to ride it out for a couple of years if you're a player willing to bet on yourself and say that, hey, look, I think Pedersen didn't want to ha- didn't have the season that he wanted. I think that's fair to say. I think everybody expected more, and I'm sure he did too. So maybe take that short-term deal and then see what you can do long-term. Brock Besser obviously bet on himself with a short-term deal, um, and he's going into the final season of that. And, you know, there's been questions about his health and durability and his consistency as a scorer. Well, huge bounce-back year for him. So what does he look like when his uh, next contract is up? So – if I were if I were a betting man right now, I'd say short term for Petey, bridge deal, and Hughes. I think there's a strong possibility that they may be able to get something done long term. Uh, a couple more Canuck ones, and then we'll talk about you know fun things. Um, Thatcher Demko. Um, we we've kind of been a little negative on the, the Canuck so far, but it, it feels like <laughs> they got something with that dude. At the beginning of the year, maybe it didn't look like that, but it really felt like he kind of rounded into things as the season went along. Is he kind of the number one guy that Vancouver was hoping he would be? Well, at this point, without question, and they need him to be right. I mean, right. that's, that's a big gamble. I liked the gamble. I really liked the gamble, you know, right before that contract was signed uh, with Demko and that extension, you know, I was kind of banging the drum to say, look, do it now. You got an opportunity to maybe get some term uh, at, at a decent price. And, you know, you look at the dollar value for what Quinn Hughes is, or, or sorry, what Thatcher Demko is. Um, you've got some decent term with that as well. Hey, look, it, it's it's a problem if he turns out to have a season or a career like what what's happened with Martin Jones after the Sharks kind of signed that contract. But, you know, Demko looks like the real deal. And, um, you know, it was a smart call to bring in Braden Holpe to go with the veteran back, you know, to try to be that 1-1-A. Demko clearly was the better goaltender over the course of the year. Uh, I think you want to make sure if if Holtby isn't back, you want to make sure you have maybe a veteran presence there to kind of, you know, spell Demko for some games. But he certainly changed that conversation last year in the playoffs with those three games against Vegas. And, you know, he got off to a bit of a sluggish start to the year. But man, oh, man, he rounded into form nicely by the middle of the year and really kind of gave the Canucks uh, some hope at one point before they got absolutely torn apart by COVID. Um, But I'll tell you what, I'm a fan of Thatcher Demko. I'm curious to see just what his ceiling can be, but he obviously flirted with some absolute brilliance and domination. uh, What we saw a little less than a year ago in in the playoff bubble and earned the nickname Bubble Demko. Um, I, that, that obviously is, is long past now, but I, I liked the play by the Canucks at the time. And he certainly looks like the real deal to me. One of the things I like about uh, doing podcast stuff is that uh, live on the air, 
if you ask something that doesn't get a great response, then it's awkward. But here, I, I can ask something, you can tell me to fuck off and I'll just edit it out. Uh, so with that in mind, um, one of the things that frustrated me about the response to, to my job is that, and some, so you, you obviously bigger name than I, um, but we were both working for stations that were the ones that cover the team. And with that, there was always this expectation that the team had someone in our show meetings giving us notes to say and all of this stuff. And the way I always came back on that was, I met Brad for living five times. He introduced himself to me every time. He did not care what I was saying about the Calgary Flames at any point. And, and I would imagine, um, like it wasn't as, oh, the Canucks are telling these guys what to say as, as people would assume being a rights holder. Um, all of that to ask, um, thank you, Jim, got a lot of attention when you said that. Um, and as soon as you said it, I was like, dude, like, I love you, man, but I, I don't know if I would have gone there. Um, so I guess, A, do you wish you had that one back? And B, were you surprised at the response of that? Uh, you know what? No, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't okay. wish that one back. I don't want to do a do over on that. It's, <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, I, I think, I think there's an element of context. Um, and you know, the one thing I'll say about the Vancouver market is man, oh man, it is, uh, it is so split sometimes that, you know, and you had brand loyalists that, you know, it's funny. There was CKNW held the rights for the Canucks for years and years and years for probably the first 30 years of existence for the Canucks. And then 1040, uh, Team 1040 and TSN 1040 had the rights for another 10 years or so. And then somewhere over the last four years now, Sportsnet 650 has had the radio rights here. And it's funny because there was never the term house radio in the market until uh, the birth of 650, where it became all of a sudden this competitive, you know, all of a sudden there was a rival for the sports radio station. So, you know, you had a social media following and the house radio and the chirps. And so, you know, you know, Sportsnet, because they had the, the radio rights, they were suddenly the, oh, we're just a, you know, we're just a mouthpiece for the, uh, for the organization. Um, and obviously, I think there are some political uh tiptoeing that I think you have to manage sometimes when you're managing a relationship and, and a multi-million dollar relationship at that, just as, you know, I think you see on the television side as well. Uh, nevertheless, uh, with the thank you, Jim, and now this kind of came out after I was trying to be an empathetic voice because it was talking about several colleagues who had just lost their jobs and basically going down the road of, hey, look, man, you know, let's ease up on shitting on everybody and kicking everybody in the ass. And, uh, you know, you know, look, if Benning's out, let's kick him out. But it's, but here's, here's sometimes when I struggle with the hypocrisy in this market, you got a fan base that just absolutely loves Elias Pettersson, right? Yeah. A fan base that absolutely loves Quinn Hughes. And yet, they absolutely hate Jim Benning, <laughs> right? So, so the guy who kind of brought those two to the dance is still like, like just absolutely loathed in, in Vancouver. So, you know, at some point you kind of have to say, look, Jim Benning's had some, had some major screw ups and missteps along the way in the seven years. And I think you could pretty much say that about pretty much every executive, right? um in, in the league but you know his 
obviously the Louis Erickson was a huge miss and the list can go on and on with some of these other moves that, you know, losing Tyler to Foley and, and missing out on the time. And just, you know, Jim does not communicate well with the media and he's had his misses. But I also would say that, Hey, look, the guy is the guy who, you know, it's his watch. And as much as people want to sit there and say, Oh, it was all Judd Brackett. Look, the captain of the ship will get credit for the success or failure of the organization. So Jim Benning, is the guy who brought Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, Brock Besser to Vancouver. So if you like the guy, if you like those players, hey, look, if you still feel that Jim Benning's gone, then hey, thanks, Jim. Well, I think a couple of people ran with it. Uh, <laughs> some media people and, and were just, you know, they, they ran this, you know, I think they took a, you know, again, it goes back to context, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, they ran a, a snippet of what I was saying, and I think some people understood what I was saying, and other people thought that it was just a steaming pile of horseshit. <laughs> uh, and so I kind of, you know, initially I was like, holy shit, what is everybody freaking out over? And, you know, I just kind of laughed it off. I mean, I think that's the one thing that you just have to in this industry um, you can't take yourself too seriously. And I think I've tried to be mindful of that for a long time. Um, but, you know, try not to take yourself too seriously. Try not to uh, get too wound up and recognize that you're not going to please every asshole out there. So, you know, <laughs> I think I think there was a, a, a time that people were kind of like, I think people were laughing and snickering and, and I get it. But at the same time, like, you know, I laughed with it too and mm-hmm. it became a thing and it really kind of blew up and um, <laughs> yeah, just kind of had some fun. It's, it's funny what you, you know, again, here's the other thing. It was organic, right? right. It was organic. And so sometimes the things that are forced don't necessarily work. This was just organic and people ran with it. Now people can interpret it any which way they want. Um, but Ah, man, I look back on it. It was fun. It worked out. And, um, you know, people could say it was it was ridiculous. Some people could say it was funny. Some people could say it was stupid. Uh, Whatever the case, um, when Jim Benning's ultimately done in Vancouver, I guarantee you, thank you, Jim, will be trending. Oh, for sure. And whether whether that's whether that's this summer, whether that's next year, whether that's five years from now. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) <laughs> will be a thing at some point that people will remember during this time. Even, so I hate that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Even if people don't like the Hughes or Pedersen contracts, that like any move now that, that he makes, um, positively or negatively, that's going to be happening um, for sure. So yeah, no, that, that's a good perspective on that. I'm, I'm happy you feel that way about it. Uh, okay, enough Canuck stuff, because I know you, you've talked about that team to death for the last, uh, for a while now. Uh, wrestling, what are you watching these days? Oh, not a lot of, tell you what, not a lot of WWE post WrestleMania. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, maybe I'm just getting old, but, uh, I don't love it. Um, you know, and interesting, obviously with the firings of Braun Strowman this week and the mm-hmm. releases, and, uh, you know, I, I will say this, I'm starting to enjoy AEW more, um, I, I, they've got themselves a pretty solid roster. I think the fact that they've just got two hours to try to cram in everything that they've got on the roster, um, 
that feels like a nice tight and tidy show that they've got on dynamite right now where it's not oversaturated. Uh, we'll see what happens when, when they ultimately expand, but I like where AEW is finally going. I still am not the biggest fan of little guys. Um, now I, I say this, I was a Ricky steamboat fan and you know, steamboat was kind of a little guy in that era as a kid, but, um, but I, I, I think at times, Look, I love the athleticism. I totally respect it, but I still have a hard time, um, you know, just watching cruiserweights or guys that are smaller than me um, <laughs> going out there, right? I get it's a work, but to me, I still love the basic premise of a guy who's an ass kicker, um, you know, and I think the business was kind of built on, you know, a sense of realism where, look, those guys, you know, workers back in the day would kick your ass. You know, they were tough, badass, lack of a better description, badass motherfuckers. Like the the industry was littered with guys like Brock Lesnar. Right. Right. Harley Race, Andre the Giant, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody. Like you wouldn't fuck with those guys. And, you know, how many of those guys can you legitimately say now are uh, are, are guys that you would, you know, legitimately fear? Right. The Hakus, the Mings, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. There's not a lot of those guys, um, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's still a lot of top guys, but it's just it's a it's a different animal these days. It's it's um, yeah. I, it's, that's that's where I kind of lose a little bit of that uh, that love. That's fair. Yeah. No. I and uh, Lance Storm talked about this on on a podcast a lot when he still had a podcast so a while ago. Um, but when he he would say like the the these guys aren't supposed to look like just anyone from the audience. Like they're supposed to be larger than life because people are paying money to watch them do this, right? So you're supposed to feel like a superstar. I know that's a WWE thing, but you're supposed to feel better than the rest of us because yes. we're paying to see you. Totally. And, and look, there's, there's, you know, you listen to people who were the, uh, the old school, um, the, the old school belief was a guy named Bill Watts, who was a former worker and, and owned a territory in kind of Oklahoma and Louisiana and Mid-South and, you know, there was the understanding was from, from guys in that territory that if, if you lost a bar fight, you lost your job because there's no <laughs> way that somebody should be able to, you know, kick your ass, if you will. Now, it's not to say that, you know, a, a sports entertainer should have to go out and fight. It's not about that at all. But it's that sort of belief. Like, I look at a guy like Miro, you know, Miro looks like a badass, right? right? Guys like that, Bobby Lashley. You know, Drew McIntyre, those guys look like, you know, guys who are going to kick your butt. And, you know, there's that sort of belief, right? Th those sorts of individuals that you look at, you know, like a, a Charlotte Flair, man, big, strong, athletic. Yeah, like that's that's for real. Where, yeah. you know, the, the ones that, you know, kind of, hey, look, there's always room for a little comedy and a little fun. But at the same time, I, I just, I feel like it's kind of starting to stray a little bit from the, uh, from the uh, the badass and and look you know you still be a great worker and great performer i mean I, you know i look at like kenny omega and, and what he can do and um but at the same time it's i feel like you know it's finding those guys who, who legitimately make you say okay i wouldn't mess with that guy roman reigns like look at he's yeah. built himself too right like that's a big big strong there's another guy who played in the cfl you know good athlete big and would probably take my head off, right? If he was pissed off based on, and especially based on the family lineage, right? Like, yep. okay, I'm not going to miss out.
Yeah, no, and I think they've done a great job with him. Uh, Mr. Sabalski, I feel like I've taken up way too much of your time, man. Thank you very much for doing this today. uh, And we will definitely be catching up again soon. Anytime, brother. You stay safe out there, Pete. And it's great to catch up with you again, man. Yeah, you too. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Cheers. Cheers. All right, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you to Sandra and to Sabalski for stopping by today. If you have any thoughts on anything that you heard or didn't hear, send them my way on Twitter at PrimetimeKlein. Same thing goes for Instagram. You can email the show, Diary at yahoo.com. I am on Twitch, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can find me on Instagram, primetimekline1. That is the number one after primetimekline. If you haven't heard enough from me yet, our general history podcast is out now this week talking about a number of different landmarks. Learned quite a bit about those, so tune in to that one. You can find that show on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. As far as this show is concerned, we'll have one more coming up this Friday and it is going to be a very busy one. There is a UFC pay-per-view this weekend. There is an NXT takeover in your house coming up this weekend as well. So a lot to preview coming up on the show on Friday. So I'll talk to you guys then. I'm out.